fellow travelers, and welcome to Versus Stars Podcast. All my loyal listeners, thank you for your continued support. And remember, click the subscribe button, everybody. It's an amazing episode because Alec Belcher boards the mothership. He's the composer of Extraction 2. Come aboard as we go traversing the stars. Hello, Mr. Belcher. Thanks so much for coming to the Versus Stars Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So, my pleasure, sir. I enjoy listening to your music. So, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, of course. So, I always start off with a question of inspiration. So, what inspired your love of music and who are your earliest influences? Um, my, I think my music began, my love of music began, I think I was three years old, and my mother took me to a Garth Brooks show in Louisville, Kentucky. And I saw Garth smash a guitar, and I <laughs> remember looking at her and going, yep, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and so, that's, that's where my love of music and where... It basically, the my whole career started at that moment. That's when I started playing and taking lessons not too many years after that. And so that's really where it all began. Um, but, you know, obviously I don't I don't work in that genre or do that sort of thing for a living. I think when I was young, the films of like Alan Silvestri um, really influenced me and sort of piqued my ears to what film music can do and the power of it, mm. um, as well as John Williams scores. And as I started to get a little bit older and studying, you know, I became like a diehard fan of Bernard Herrmann, who, um, in my opinion, is one of the greatest just composers to live in the, you know, in the 20th century. So, um, yeah, those are those are some of the big influences. Garth Brooks, Bernard Herrmann. It's a little bit of a mixed bag. there. <laughs> so so when did you decide, you know, instead of being a country music star, I'm going to make the movies? Um, well, I never really wanted to be an artist and I never really uh, wanted to do country music or anything like that, but I knew I wanted to do music and I started studying classical. I played trumpet and classical guitar as a, as a child. And I was also working in theater, um, uh, acting at a, at a local professional theater as a child actor. And I knew I didn't really have the talent or the looks to do that as a, for a living and I never really wanted to. But what I did love about live theater was just storytelling and mm. you know, taking an audience on a journey and, and and that the process of that. And so, you know, as I got a little bit older and I was I was doing theater and I was studying music and starting to think about what sort of a career in music that I would want to do, film music just made a lot of sense because it got to combine, mm. you know, that love of storytelling, um, but doing it with music. Um, as well as my love for films and you know all things um, storytelling so that's really so it was just kind of one of those I don't it wasn't an aha moment it was just it just made complete sense to sort of pursue that so I started studying composition um, as a teenager and then went to college and studied that there and and you know the rest is history so how much do you think your skill as, as being a composer is an eight innate and how much do you think has been learned well, I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's always a little bit of innate skill that comes with with anything that you do, whether it's carpentry or, um, you know, math. Mm. I think a lot of people do things that they're inherently a little bit good at or comes natural to them because that it makes it fun. Mm. When everything's a struggle, you, you tend to sort of shy away from doing that 20 hours a day. Mm. But what I will say is I am by no means a good or, or like the best composer. I know so many of my friends and colleagues who are way better than me. But the one thing I do think is a little maybe more innate that I, I think I do somewhat well is storytelling and using music mm. to do that storytelling. 
which again is why I didn't really want to be a performer, didn't want to be an artist, because I knew I'm, I'm like that. I know what I'm good at, and it's telling a story with music. And so I think that always for me has been what I feel most comfortable doing. And then everything else sort of comes second, you know, the orchestration and the writing and the harmony and all of that. So as someone, once again, who composes music, once again, you're using more, like I said, you said you um, started with, was it a trombone? And you said the guitar. Now, obviously, trumpeting guitar. Trumpeting yeah. guitar. I mean, obviously, you're using a lot, many, uh, a lot more instruments than just that when you're composing. How familiar are you to yet to be with all these other instruments then? You know, it's a lifelong endeavor being a composer. And I think most composers would tell you it's one of the few jobs that you get better at the older you get. Be mm -hmm. For that very reason that you point out, there are so many instruments involved in composing music. And you do have to be familiar. You know, if you're going to write for them, you have to be mm -hmm. familiar with them. And that comes with studying a lot of orchestration, getting to know musicians and working with world-class musicians. I've been very honored in my career and very lucky to work with some of the best musicians in the world that that play the music that I write. Mm. And on every film, I learned something in the, in the scoring sessions. Um, and that, you know, even though I might not play violin, I know enough about it to, to write for it and maybe eke out, play a little bit of its tune. But when you put your music down on the stand of these world-class musicians, mm. then you, you really sort of make discoveries. And that's what I try to do is I try to go, okay, I noticed that when I write, this way or like that i don't quite get the result i want but i see everton who's the leader that i always work with i see he's capable of doing this so maybe and that informs my writing and, and so it's a process and every film you do you learn more about it and that comes with mm. studying listening studying scores and you know most of those instruments i've got a viola cello violin and when i write something i'll sort of get it under my fingers even though i can't play it just to sort of get an idea for it and it's you know it's just a process and it you get better the more you do it now this is something i ask a lot of composers because i'm always curious about philosophy um some composers like i said we mentioned john williams likes to have their music very prominent in the in the score while other composers like hans zimmer is seems to be a very subtle kind of like weaves it in kind of a subtly into the scene what's your opinion on music in a soundtrack should it be something that is very prominent and obvious where you wanted something kind of subtle and kind of like more like we we we've into the structure. It all depends on the film. Every film is going to call for something else, and I think a lot of the times, you know, composers become known for a certain sound. But when you mm. so when you talk about Hans's music, yeah, we, those examples are great. When you think of Interstellar, when you think of The Dark Knight, uh, mm -hmm. but then you also remember he also wrote Cool Runnings and Driving Miss Daisy, and Rain Man, and The Holiday. You know, so it, we do a lot of different things, all depending on what the movie calls for. And then we get mm -hmm. known for something because of one of those projects blows up. But really for us and growing up in that Hans camp, you know, working there for however many years, that was one thing I really learned from him was you got to listen to the film. You can't do your own thing. Mm -hmm. No one's really going to the theater. You know, the, I remember Hans saying once that the composer is never bigger than the film. It doesn't matter even if Hans Zimmer did a college director's, you know, first little indie movie with a budget of $500. It's not about Hans. It's not Hans it's concert music. You know, mm. it's a different thing. So you're always subservient to the film. So you got to look at the film, talk with the filmmakers and see what does this film warrant with the music? How can mm. music help tell this story? And does it need to be out front? You know, is it a film where you really need to push 
and the music needs to do a lot of the storytelling or is there a lot going on screen and music just needs to take a little bit of a back seat so yeah mm -hmm. i always default to the to the film and to the filmmakers because it's going to vary quite a bit on each one now you've provided additional music for some of my favorite all-time movies uh kong skull island which i, I absolutely love uh, Captain America Civil War, Captain America The Winter Soldier, which may be one of my favorite comic book movies of all time. So what do these experiences teach you about composition? And what does it mean to give it when you say, when it says additional music to one of these projects? Well, additional music is, you know, as it sounds, you're writing music, but there's a lead composer who's producing that and going over every bar and saying, use this theme here. And, you know, it's, it's such a feat to mm. write music for an entire film. So it takes a team, especially in the, you know, in the last 20 or 30 years, the amount of time that we have to do that. So it takes a team of people. So um, you're working underneath the lead composer. They're going, pouring over every single note, guiding you, looking at picture. And so while they're doing that to help you sound like them and, and do that sort of thing, you're learning a lot from them. And I got really lucky that, you know, my mentor, Henry, who I co-wrote Extraction 1 with and Extraction 2, learned a lot from him. And, you know, doing additional music on those films you learn a lot, not just about the intricacies of music theory and things like that. That's a lot of what college is for. Um, but what you do learn is the politics of doing a score. Music is so subjective. Um, it's really, really hard when you're young to sit in a room and play a piece of music that you're really proud of and then have it thrown out. Mm. And there's a part of you that goes, well, I'm the musician in the room. Like, <laughs> why but again, it goes back to that that thing that sort of Han said. It's not about the music. It's about the film. So you got to mm. focus that. And that's a thing you can really only learn from being in the room. And I was very lucky when I was young that Henry put me in the room and let me watch the politics of that and how to work with mm. a collaborative team to to get the end result, which, you know, he's had a lot of success. We've had a lot of success. And I think that just speaks to his nature of collaborative filmmaking because no one mm. makes a by themselves in in Hollywood it takes to sit at the end of a movie and watch the credits and then there's more people that don't even get a credit that, that it takes mm. to do that so that's the big thing that you learn on top of all the intricacies of you know this is a cool way to orchestrate for you know woodwinds that's a given but you're also going to learn a lot more when you're when you're doing that job now when you're giving additional music to like you said uh, with a lead composer um how much or how difficult is it to write music in that composer's score or voice and how much is it want to make your own music based on your own voice in you know for a particular score when there's a lead composer well it's really not that hard because you i say you want to sound like them and that that's true to a certain extent but really each score should have its own identity for the film hmm. so you're a lot of it is not necessarily again you'll have things where like the lead composer may like to orchestrate their strings a certain way. That's mm -hmm. a different thing. The, the main job is to make sure that your music and the team's music and the lead composer's music sounds like the film. And mm -hmm. the lead composer is in charge of doing that. That's what their job is, is going, this is the sound of this film. This is what we are doing. This is the, the texture and the, the, you know, the spirit. And that's the score. And that's the lead composer's job. And that's the hardest job you know, on the team for sure. And then as an additional composer, you're doing other things like, okay, how am I making this? I've got to fit into that. So it's more about the film. 
And in doing that, you learn a lot. You learn, oh, I might have done this a little bit differently to try to match that. And then when you're out on your own, you sort of adopt that and mm. do your own thing. But again, it's more about fitting into the the sound of the film that the lead composer has created. And, and that's, you're taking all your lead from them. They're the ones that you're sort of eyeing and helping them get across the finish line. Mm. So you're, as you mentioned, you are um, the composer for Extraction, the, the franchise. You did the first movie, and you're doing the second movie. So what interests you in returning for the sequel? Well, I mean, the first one was so much fun. It's an incredible action film. And, it, it, you know, it's an action film with a ton of story as well. You know, it's not just mm. my entertainment. It's artfully done. All the action is incredibly crafted. Sam Hargrave um, is such an incredible filmmaker and storyteller that it's just it's one of those films that you you beg you call your agent you beg like please get me one of those because there's so much room amongst all of that brilliance to mm. for the music to actually play a big role and it's not just you know what we call a musical wallpaper where it's just sort of there and it's not really doing anything fans mm. films and and this goes for you know a lot of agbo's films joe and anthony's company's films they really invite music to play a role to be a character and to help tell that story. And it's even more fun when it's a giant action film because then you get to do all the fun action music mm. while at the same time still helping in the narrative sense to push the story along. Now, obviously with a movie like Extraction, while the, you know you know you got Christopher Hemsworth involved and you know there's a good chance the movie's going to be successful, um, but there's not, it's, it's not like, let's say, Captain America, where when you make Captain America 1, you pretty much assume there's Captain America 2 and 3 coming along the way, somewhere along the line. The extraction, you hope it does well enough for a sequel, but there's no guarantee that's a franchise. So when you're approaching the first movie, are you leaving um, aspects of the music to build upon for a potential sequel? Or when there's a sequel, when you finally do get to do the sequel, are you thinking to yourself, what can I build upon? Yeah, I, I, it's more of the latter there, I'd say. You know, when you're working on a film and you don't know it hasn't been greenlit for a second one, that doesn't really come into play. Again, it's such a feat to get get it done. It's, it takes so much mental effort that if you mm. spend any time worrying about the second one. Now, you can do things that sort of set you up to be able to do that. Having good themes just naturally will help you when you get to the next one because you know you can reuse them. Um, but I think for the most part, I don't really think about that too often, unless we already know going into it, then I can sort of make plans. But when you don't know, it's a little different thing. However, once you've got, once you're on the second one, and we did that on Extraction 2, you know, we, I read the script, had conversations with Sam, and then he went and shot it. And then when they started cutting it, they had, they took all of our music from Extraction 1 and started cutting to that. Mm -hmm. And that's really informative because then we get to watch it and go, okay, what's working from the first score? What isn't working? Where are the holes? What else do we need to expand upon? And what else can we just simply lift and, and sort of just tweak to fit picture? And so that's really helpful. And I think doing that sort of immediately puts you a little ahead of the curve as opposed to approaching an IP that's fresh and you don't really know what how it's going to shake out. So we did a lot of that. We we did a lot of experimenting on taking themes from the first and cues from the first, throwing it around, seeing how it felt. And that's the beauty of technology is that's really easy to do. And we learned a lot from that process early on, even in the early like rough cuts, basically dailies coming in, just throwing up some of the E1 up against it to see how it sounded. And mm. we were able to use uh, a lot of it that we had to rewrite 
um, some things to make them fit just character wise. It didn't feel quite natural to just completely recycle. There were themes and sort of motifs that we had to completely expand, write new sections. And then of course, new characters, so new themes, new instrumentations, new ways to do the things that we did in the first, because we didn't want it to sound just like a copy and paste. Mm. Now, I mean, obviously there's, there's a question of fandom. Because, you know, when fandom loves a movie, they kind of expect, there's certain expectations that are created by that movie. But at the same time, as an artist, you do kind of want to do something, you know, stretch yourself a little bit. So when you do a sequel, where's the line between honoring what's before, you know, expectations of the fans and making sure you're doing something creative for yourself as the musician of the sequel? Yeah, it is a fine line. The way that I went about it on Extraction 2, knowing that it was a success and that people seemed to like the music as well, and that the whole thing just really worked, I knew, you know, don't mess with it too much. That would just be making more work for yourself. The thing that I tried to do on this one, and I've done in the past, and I think worked really well, was the theory behind how I did the first one and and the process of which Mm. I went about, I applied that. To this but just inputted new data if it as it were so the on the first one i think i i've been trying to remember if it was sam or if it was joe Russo who wrote the script on the first one and the second one someone early on before they had shot anything we sort of had this kickoff meeting and someone said you know rake's the type of character who could kill you with whatever's laying around the room he could pick up a feather and kill you with it and that idea of resourcefulness really stuck with me and so when I started writing the first one, I was like, I like that idea of like repurposing things to do something. So I'm not a cellist. I grabbed a cello and started playing it and not knowing what I was doing. We, I had some cool sounds and then we processed them, bounced them to tape, ran it through a guitar amp, did things with instruments you wouldn't normally use. Mm. Went to a junkyard, recorded a bunch of breaking things and then created instruments with those and used that for the percussion as opposed to normal percussion. So that whole idea of like repurposing things, I, I felt worked really well and serviced the story on the first one. So I sort of did the same thing on this one and without using the same instruments or, or anything like that. We did more Junkyard Perk, but I did different sounds and sort of did a different approach to it. I did a lot of, um, you know, sampling toms, but doing it in a way that you wouldn't normally do. Uh, I played viola for the Brothers tune. And again, not a string player but I played it with the wrong hand. So normally you play it this way. I flipped it and played it that way. And so what you get with them is this weird sort of, you're like, that sounds like a string instrument, but it's bad, but it's creepy and it's haunting and menacing at the same time. And so again, and that all came from conversations with the filmmakers on, Mm. hey, what is the story we're trying to tell? Get it as simple as as possible. And it came from like a one-off comment from, again, either Sam or Joe about that idea of, misusing something or reusing something Mm. so i took that theory and applied it to this one with new you know sort of trying it with different things so that it would still feel like the first score and still feel like that extraction universe but be fresh and a little bit different and not just completely recycled well there's a piece of music and i'm trying once again i don't have the ear for music that that you do or for instruments um the piece uh it's over that's a is that a violin i'm hearing during that piece yeah, yeah. the The main thing is a, is a cello, um, and, and then there's a then the violins come in about halfway through, and the violas come in as well. But, Cause, cause I, I really, that's that's the piece that, that struck with me that I really just love that piece. 
yeah. with, with, with um, you know, with the, the string instrument. And I, and I think the part I'm thinking about is the violin. But once again, I'm, not, I'm obviously not an expert in, no, no. <laughs> in the sound. Um, that, that one's that one's a long one, so it's got it's got sort of things all over the place. So, so how did you approach? It's over. That one we knew. It's a it's a, it's a release, you know. It's a, without giving too much away for anybody who might be listening who hasn't watched the film yet. It's a release. It's as the title suggests, it's the end of this adrenaline fueled, chaotic hour and however many minutes ride that the film is that has you on the edge of the seat your entire time. So really, what I try to do is start with that idea of like, this is over you can it's the exhale and that's really the sort of mantra that I, I was like okay if the whole movie you're just quietly inhaling the whole time and, and grabbing the side of your chair and leaning forward and leaning forward this is the moment that you allow the audience to relax and relax as a composer that's oftentimes what we're doing in a film is we're nodding or subtly you know it's the subtle hand in filmmaking that tells the audience what to feel or how to feel or what it's okay to feel in a certain moment hmm. because you can have a very dramatic scene and if you've got and with a joke in it and if you have dramatic music playing under that people are going to just feel awkward but if you if you bring the music out right before the joke then it makes the whole thing funnier and it makes uh, adds a little bit of levity so a lot of what music is is sort of letting the audience know it's okay to feel this or it's okay to feel that or you should be feeling this even though you're not seeing it on screen the director is asking you to feel this. And so that's mm. what our job is. With It's Over, the whole idea was, it's okay, breathe now. Mm. Breathe. That's, it's a, it, you did a wonderful job with that one. And I think what I like about the score too is that there's many, you're, you're playing music for a very complex story. In, in, in other words, there's a lot of action pieces, there's this ominous pieces, you know, and then there's obviously, as you said, a little more dramatic, a little more, as, as you said, in the exhale as well. Is it difficult to make these pieces all feel seamless and cohesive within one film? It, that is part of, you know, the the mission. And at times it can be tricky, but when you've got writing as good as Extraction and Extraction 2, when you've got directors as good, you've got acting as good, it's already, and editing, it's mm. already pretty seamless and the transitions are good. There are mm. times where, for instance, in the, in the Wonners, normally you would have moments with editing to, to help chapter a big action sequence, like, oh, something happened, let's cut to someone's reaction. You'd have what, you know, what everyone calls a reaction shot. You don't have that ability. So in this one, we had to do that. We had to chapter this big long wonder with music, music coming mm -hmm. in, going out, coming back in, going out to sort of mark those moments. Again, telling the audience, this is a big deal. Make sure you pay attention. This is a big deal. Make sure you pay attention here. And so a lot of it, you know, it's it's up to the film, it's up to the director, it's up to the the writing. And if you're doing your job well, and if everyone has done their job well, which they did on this one, it's not too difficult. But there can be some tricky moments where the film requires you to do that, and that the filmmaker is asking you to do that. Mm. And those are the moments where you have to sort of figure out, okay, how do we how do we combine those two? At the beginning of this film, you know, we're picking up right where we left off at E1, so that was a big sort of question that i had sort of where are we at that we left e1 at such a, a big moment do we come in with that do we come in lower do we come in higher and so mm. really i think act one we spent a lot of time setting the tone musically 
and then from there it was it was pretty easy to sort of transition through all the stuff that happens next in the in e2 well i mean obviously um the, the main character for those who don't like I said, is played by chris hemsworth his character is tyler rake um so how do you develop themes for this character and when you think about themes for Tyler Rake, obviously where he where he's as you said where he starts in, in movie two is not kind of where he is in movie one. Are you thinking about continuing the theme that you had in in movie one, or does he, does it feel like a different enough character that the theme is different for him for uh, movie two? And how, how did you approach that? Well, this one was a little bit different, and what we learned, uh, Sam and I, on the first one, like before they shot anything, I'd written about 30, 45 minutes of music that once they had shot, we st they started cutting with, and, and it was really fun to work that way. And what we realized was that there's not, the extraction didn't call for a lot of character themes, mm. but what it did call for was themes for ideas. So the emotional theme that I, that I wrote for the first one, originally I was like, oh, this is for Ovi, one of the main characters in that. And then once the cuts started coming together, I think it was Sam who pointed out, like, actually, this isn't Ovi's theme. It works over Ovi, but it also works over anyone who's dealing with loss and family. Mm. So that's sweet. And I, it, I think it's called that on the E1 soundtrack is families and loss. So that sort of idea, that's how we approach both the first one and this one. It was not necessarily giving someone specific themes, but more these general ideas. And that really mm. helped. Because it, anytime you had, you know, if you have Rake's not the type of character, he's not like an Indiana Jones character where when he comes on screen, you want a big triumphant theme. He's he's a different character, so you want to treat him differently. And so by adding themes to more narrative devices, you know, and treating it like that, what you end up with is themes that kind of work for all characters, but what they're feeling and what I hope and what I think that does is help tie all those characters mm. together because there's so much chaos going on. It could it could be easy to sort of make it feel like every man for themselves, but by using themes that way, what I hope and the goal was to sort of tie everyone together and on screen and mm. sort of approach it that way. Like I said, I really did enjoy the soundtrack to Extraction 2. Um, so for our listeners, where can they find the soundtrack for Extraction 2 and what's next? Uh, they can find the soundtrack anywhere they stream their music um, on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube. Uh, yeah, anywhere you can normally listen, it's going to be up there under my name. If you search any of my pages, as well as Henry's, it's posted on both of those. So, uh, yeah, by all means, go and, and have a listen. Uh, what's next? I'm taking a little bit of a break. We did this one as well as Citadel, another project I did for the Russo brothers, um, which came out. We did those sort of on the heels of one another. So I'm taking a little bit of, of time off to take a breath. Um, but I did finish bef before we started extraction, I finished a, a film for uh, one of the, the co-producers, Ari Costa, um, who works with Agbo. He co-directed his first film um, called All Fun and Games. So that's gonna be coming out sometime between now and the end of the year. I'm sure I have an email on, on when, but I probably overread it. Or but yeah so that's the next one coming out and then you know excited to uh, to see what happens after that that's fantastic mr belcher when anytime you're ready to talk about a new film please come back on you've been fantastic will do it's been a pleasure thank you <laughs>